special introduction to this very special episode of Shaky Town Radio that's coming to you uh, on Friday, uh, July 23rd. Yeah, a couple days early. Uh, I'm going to let Gene tell some of the story. This is a very special episode. This is the episode where we find out that you were molested by uh, Gordon Jump, right? Gene, <laughs> is this because you saw me ride over on the bicycle? <laughs> Did that trigger something? I think so. Um, if you were listening to last week's episode, the Eli Braden episode, we left you on a cliffhanger as far as if uh, whether or not we survived the earthquake. We're not going to tell you right now. Um, You're still on pins and needles. We're sorry to pull a Terrence and Philip on you, but we are going to return to that story next week. Right. Because um, we have to pay attention to the continuity of Shaky Town Radio. I, if we don't, we have to like retcon it or something later. You know, <laughs> uh. it, it would be... Oh, mess. lordy lord. Suddenly, like, Steve Buscemi's my cousin, and he just got <laughs> in a prison. Like, no, no, we always, I always had a cousin. Uncle Steve, hey! I, there's always a Tony <sighs> B. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Good uh, Sopranos reference. Thank you, I try. Yeah. So, uh... We're going to be speaking to uh, Ann Beats, who is, who looms large in American comedy. Um, uh, she was a writer on, uh, for the National Lampoon. At magazine and Radio Hour. She uh, was one of the original cast of writers uh, for Saturday Night Live uh, in the what people consider the golden age of Saturday Night Live. Um, she's produced uh, cult classic uh, TV shows like Square Pegs and A Different World and uh, is really... Uh, That's what I forgot to ask her. You forgot. She created the characters of Whitley and Dwayne Wayne. Ah. Oh, a missed opportunity, yeah. man. Maybe next time. Um, maybe next time. Um, but anyway, we, we had the pleasure of um, sitting down for a, a chat with Miss um, uh, Beats about uh, her new classes and her teaching uh, um, writing for television and uh, and uh, comedy writing in general. And Yeah, those classes are going to be taking place at WordSpace, which is this awesome new writing workshop kind of space uh, at 3191 Casitas Avenues, uh, suite number 156 in Atwater Village. Represent yep. California, 900 to the 39. It's Glendale. It's not Glendale. It's totally Glendale. It's right. Atwater Village. It has its own special, unique history. Yeah, blah, blah. And awesome right. people. Glendale. <sighs> anyway, uh, yeah, so so just this is a little bit different than what we normally do. Uh, no joking. Uh She's great. Uh, she's a comedy legend. You can take classes with with her. Um, uh, this is the, the classes that she's doing. If if they're successful, she's going to do more of them. So we really uh, uh, love her a lot. She's an awesome person. Um, she took the time to sit down and talk to us. If you're in Los Angeles and you're at all interested in um, learning the profession of writing uh, for television, and uh, this class is more finding your comedic voice. You can find more details. Um, on the WordSpace's uh, website, that's WordSpace.net. WordSpace.net. We'll have the links in the in the uh, blog. Um, but yeah, we definitely urge you to um, 
you know, sign up for these classes and uh, we want to see more of these happen because uh, she is, uh, you know, she's got the skills and the knowledge of the doing of them, telling of a lot of things. So uh, we hope you enjoy. Yeah. If, if you don't hear a lot of me in that, this episode, it's just because I'm gazing admirely uh, at Ann Beats and Jean George. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Um, without so, yeah. any further ado, here's the show. The Shaky Town Radio Hour is on the air. I'm Gene George. I'm Brody Foster Hubbard. And uh, we're delighted to be sitting down with Diane Beats, who uh, is a comedy legend. Anyone who has a uh, um, passing interest in comedy uh, will know her from uh, National Lampoon, Book Magazine and Radio Hour, uh, Saturday Night Live, Square Pegs, uh, and just tons and tons of uh, interviews and, <laughs> and documentaries, apparently. <laughs> and we're absolutely pleased to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. It's so nice of you to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I wrote some notes down um, because I was rather intimidated um, considering one of my earliest memories is my mom had collections of, of a National Lampoon and reading National Lampoon when I was literally like barely old enough to read. And, and um, you know, your work and Michael O'Donoghue's work, uh, probably because it was uh, like uh, – more dark and weird um, tended to I gravitated. Was that towards. like the first stuff you ever read? Yes, totally, absolutely. That explains a lot. It really does explain a lot. It really does explain a lot. I always love it when people just rub it into me about how much older than them I am. <laughs> as as a way of launching the interview, yeah, I true. find that That's particularly true. endearing. It, 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 <laughs> uh, uh, well, I didn't know how to phrase it. <laughs> but here's this is what I wrote down. I wrote down to, to not be intimidated. She puts her pants on one leg at a time while creating an indelible mark in American comedy. So and it didn't work very well. Well, that's funny because I I always uh, describe my comedy course as the most fun you can have with your pants on. <laughs> nice. So the other thing that I wrote down is uh, so you you. Do you mind if we gloss over 40 years of your work? <laughs> well, not at all. I'm sure it'll come up. I mean, mm. I'm sure parts of it will come up, as, as they tend to do, like yeah. the dog's dinner. <laughs> um, you know, it, and in fact, a part of it came up not long ago because um, somebody actually sent me a link to a piece that I had done for the National Lampoon Radio Hour, and which I did listen to. I usually make it a habit of not... Kind of going back and dwelling on my old work, but um, and they sent me this recipe recipe of the month or something thing that I had done on the on the Lampoon Radio Hour, which was always a there was always a correction in the recipe oh, right, because right, there was right. always some terrible error, like it would be like <laughs> that was actually two teaspoons of salt, <laughs> not twenty tablespoons. <laughs> You know, there's always a really right, right. egregious error in the previous <laughs> recipe, which we had to correct. And they sent me a link to this, and I listened to it, and it, you know, was quite. I'd sort of forgotten, and it was, it was, it was kind of fun actually to hear it. Well, before we uh, before we started recording, we were talking about because uh, and, and Brody and I were when we were stuck in traffic, we're talking about this. Um, I can't listen to myself. I, ha- I I don't have time. You were talking about not being able to watch TV or not not uh, watching a lot of it, but. And not watching yourself, I just don't have time to like listen to stuff. I don't. I hardly have time when Brody sends me edits of the podcast to listen to. Well, yeah. I mean, as a parent, you hardly have time for anything, and when you do, you fall asleep. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Anything so, is borrowed time. It seems yeah. like. Yeah. But um, no, but I just have never really enjoyed 
so much seeing things. I mean, the only time that I enjoyed it is when it's something that I've sort of forgotten. Because, you right. know, I did 107 episodes of Saturday Night Live. So there are things that I wrote that I don't remember that I wrote. And sometimes I'll come on them and I'll go, oh, yeah, right. Oh, that wasn't so bad. You know, or, <laughs> or, or, or you know, uh, uh, as with Frank Zappa and the Killer Trees. Uh, I'll hang my head in shame and go, oh my God, I can't believe we even got that on the air. Um, but those are the kind of things that are, they're surprising, so I don't mind it. But, but you know, I don't have a great tendency to go back and, and watch interviews. And, and it's funny because people will say to me, oh, I saw you on TV. And they always sort of seem to feel that I just did it, you know, but it, it, it's more likely from some you know, interview about John Belushi from 10 years ago. Right, right, and right. I always think, well, it's good because I'll look better than I do now. You know, I mean, <laughs> and I know there was one of them where they said, and you changed your outfit. And I was like, mm, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, over 10 years, you tend to change your outfit, you know, because I, it was like Loretta Young, you know, I came right. back in different outfits throughout the show. Right, right. You had got multiple costume changes. <laughs> right, and they really thought that I had, like, gone off and changed and <laughs> come back and, to be interviewed more in a different outfit, yeah. you know, which uh, I thought was funny. It was funny. Um, yeah, uh, now I'm totally, like... I'm totally <laughs> well, like, anyway, so I, it's interesting that you that you were kind of permanently warped by the National Lampoon. I was pleased to see Michael Adani. There's a comedy issue of GQ, which I... Spent five dollars on <laughs> five dollars for a magazine, um, and it listed the eight funniest dead people of all time. And I was quite pleased to see that Michael was listed amongst them, because he often doesn't emerge. And and it had uh, Del Close, mm -hmm. George Carlin, mm -hmm. um, Michael, uh, John, Phil Hartman. Um, who else? Oh, Richard Pryor, of course. Yeah, yeah. And then it had Eddie Murphy, and they said, well, he's not dead, his but he's dead is... inside. Oh. Must mm -hmm. be dead inside. Dun, 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 well, you know, poor Eddie. <laughs> I mean, that's too bad. But, but I mean, I was just, oh, there's Michael, and he looks good, too. He's wearing a hat. <laughs> he's wearing a hat. Yes. Uh, I think I think if you're really thinking about it, though, I'm, I'm doing, this is, I, I will be, be perfectly frank, and this is the most preparation I have done for one of these and, and um, reading you know, the background material. If you really think about it, that makes total sense though. You know, Michael O'Donoghue's contribution to comedy is huge. Oh, well it's, un it's underestimated because people don't realize how much he was a mentor. He was certainly a mentor to me. Um, and he was also sort of a mentor and arbiter of both the National Lampoon and Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he really he really influenced other people's choices to a great degree because Michael was always the one who would sort of say, no, don't do that, do this, or whatever. Right. And uh, Lauren, I think, initially really turned to Michael quite a bit in terms, in, until he found out that Michael was probably clinically insane. <laughs> um, he turned, You've been listening to who? <laughs> yeah, right. He did turn to Michael like, what should, you know, is this going to be good or should we do this? And Michael was always very, very definite in his choices. You know, he just was absolutely sure. But crazy or no, he kind of had the chops for it, though. He did. He did. I mean, he would say, that's funny. Write it down. You know, and you were like, okay. 
I will. And I mean, that was tremendously supportive and encouraging to me. He was a much better mentor to me than he was a boyfriend, actually. <laughs> but, you know, he did. I mean, he made me feel that I, that my perspective could be valuable and funny and that it was worth, you know, recording. So that was, that was really, I mean, he was enormously influential to me. And I, and I know that there were tons of other people who had that same effect on. So people don't really quite, I mean, they know his work, but they don't right, quite right. know the fact that he was so influential on other people as well. I'm going to sound like a smarty pants, but that seemed kind of obvious to me from reading the stuff. I mean, maybe just because I'm sort of steeped in it. Well, I guess you perceive it, but I mean, I think that in terms of the general public, I haven't noticed him getting that recognition mm. in the way that he should. And I mean, I was quite shocked also, I mean, speaking of the way the writer is always kind of at the bottom of the pile, <laughs> um, uh, that there was this entire interview with Gary Shandling, a complete interview with him, you know, pages on Gary Shandling. And first of all, the person who wrote it neglected to mention that Gary Shandling was considered to be sort of a joke. Yeah, initially. didn't he just sort of got up? He like a trust lame fund, kind of joke person. And he was sort of like a trust fund kid who just decided to do comedy as well. Well, he was right? Canadian or something, I think. I don't know. Oh. I mean, he was... <laughs> Booed the Canadian. No, 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 no. But I mean, I think that he got like right. this talk show because partly because he was Canadian and, no. then, and then he was doing this talk show and people just thought he was uh, he was basically a joke. And mm. then Alan's Y. Bell came along and did the It's Gary Shandling show right, right. and took all the things that people thought were a joke about Gary, such as his vanity and his hair. And, and his, my hair, my hair. Yeah, right. and made them comedic material. Right. And then I guess Gary went, ooh, and, you know, sort of like, ooh, this is a gift, you know, and then he started doing that himself. Right, right. But initially, <laughs> it was he was him. kind of like the, the Craig Kilborn of his time. You know, he was not... <laughs> And now they're saying, oh, he's Yoda and he's this comedy guru and all this. And I was like, what, 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 how did that happen? And, and also why, why was, you know, no mention made of the, the poor writer, Alan Seibel, who, you know, really kind of made that, made, that, made Gary Shandling hip. I mean, he made him hip. Yeah. That, that's another thing that Brody and I were talking about is, is, and this has come up on a couple of other episodes when we've talked about comedy is in SNL specifically until now, where I know some of the people, you know, peripherally who are writing for the show, I I have no idea who wrote. If I hadn't been doing research and and and, and read about it before, like I wouldn't have known that you'd done the Lupner stuff. Well, it's comforting <clears> though <throat> when you're actually doing a show. It's kind of comforting to have the general public not actually the anonymity. Know. Because then, you know, you can still be in the credits and you're still, right, right. even when your piece gets cut, you know, you're still part of the show. Right, right. Whereas if it, if all the pieces were credited, you know, then it would be, I mean, Lord knows it was competitive enough without having that additional element in there. But I guess if you, if you like something, it's hard to figure out. I mean, I, I guess it's not hard nowadays with the internet and everything, but, but it's, you know. A, um, assigning authorship to yeah. Well, yeah. I think, for instance, Rosie Schuster never got the credit for her role in creating Church Lady. See, I didn't know that. Did not know that. That's the thing. You know? Yeah. Well, isn't that special? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that. The I mean, so I guess there's there's the it's a double edged sword. You have the anonymity, and you're part of a collective, but you're not. But you see, the thing that mattered to us at the time really wasn't the public. It was a question of the, the people inside 30 Rock, the the the, the Cognoscenti, as it were, mm -hmm. the 
the our peers. I mean, that was what we cared about. So, in other words, you had all the credit you needed because people that worked on the show. Someone said that's funny. Yeah. Knew yeah. knew that you had done the Lubners and that you know Todd and Lisa, and that that was a that they became a hit. You know, right. so you had that sort of credit internally, and that was really what was important. That was that was way more important than than someone in the audience right. knowing that you'd right. done it. Well, I think from from a, a perspective of a of a comic, I I want to know more and seek out more of the, you know, the writers that I find funny, and it's hard for that. I mean, not as an audience member per se. Yeah, well, but I I think there's ways to find out too. I mean, oh, there are. It's, yeah. it's it's gotten a lot easier. I yeah. mean, I, I I have to say that you know I went through most of my life having no clue who wrote what on Saturday Night Live, and I know more now than I did. Well, you know, it, it, you could sort of get a clue from the fact that, for instance, that uh, Gilda's character's last name was Miller, that it might have been written by Marilyn. Miller, <laughs> right, right, the right. Jimmy right. Miller show. People would go to me, did you write the Judy Miller show? No, no, no. Perhaps there's another writer on the show's last name ends in Miller who might have written the Judy Miller <laughs> right, show. Right, right. Yeah. I, I don't think I was that sophisticated about it. It would have been the Judy Beats show, you know, had I written it. Um, <laughs> Although the more I write and the more little shorthand things like that, I totally understand yeah, that. Yeah, so you, you, you get it. But, but you know, it's funny about credit because one, one time I did feel impelled to really take credit, and that was I don't really write jokes per se so much as, as, as character things. Um, I never really wrote. I never wrote for Weekend Update, for instance. Um, and I, I'm not like, I don't think in the, in the line of jokes somehow, it's more about the character and what comes out of the character. And, um, so I, I did write a great joke. So I was working on the 25th anniversary show and I had to, which was a lot like doing an awards show because there were things like, you know, okay. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld and David Bowie are going to introduce the musical guest. You know, I mean, it's like, what? Right, right. What do you write that doesn't seem completely lame? And, <laughs> and, and so I, I, anyway, I had to write a thing where Chevy came out and introduced a segment of Weekend Update. And this joke just came to me from God. And it was the, the last time I was behind the update desk the only person in Betty Ford was Jerry. <laughs> nice. And it was such a perfect joke. And yeah. it was also a good character joke because, of course, Chevy had been in Betty Ford, yep. the Institute. And played Gerald Ford. Yes, and played Gerald Ford. So it just was like perfect. Per- yeah. It was perfect. And so when Chevy came out, I was in the audience. And there were all these you know, people there, all these stars and stuff in the audience. And um, and I was sitting in my seat, and Chevy came out, having done the work, you know, the show was rolling. And um, Chevy came out and, and did one of those kind of Johnny Carson things, you know, where he went, oh, I didn't write this. And I was so irritated that I, and I was also so convinced that it was a killer joke. That it is a killer this joke. This is in the commercial break, right? So I jumped up out of my seat and went, no, I did. <laughs> And then he had to say the joke. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it was a killer joke, and it was great for that particular audience of a certain age. And it killed, no, it's, you know, so I was, that was the one time joke. where I was like, I must take credit for this because I don't write that kind of thing normally. That's an awesome joke. Uh, it's <laughs> funny, it's funny because you talked about character, and um, uh, one of the things that, that I was thinking about in preparing for this is, is coming from the Lampoon. And more of a, 
actual, like, I mean, for all its content, it's a fairly literary tradition. I mean, a lot of those, you know, you guys are writers, real writers, actual writers, not gag writers or, you know. Well, I always found it hard to call myself a writer for a long time. I mean, I was a copywriter first. I worked in advertising. And that was okay. I could say I was a copywriter. But to say I was a writer was like Woody Allen saying, I love you. You know, it's like. I, my, I couldn't get the word out because I thought like Thomas Wolfe was a writer you know I yeah, wasn't a literary writer. tradition yeah but finally you know okay yes I was I was a writer I stood up for myself as a writer and um, then when I got to Saturday Night Live even though I'd worked on the radio hour you know which was a live medium in a way you know not not on the page um, I still was too literary in a way I mean, and I remember Gilda sort of saying, well, you know, it was needed to write in sentences, not paragraphs. And I kind of got a lot from the performers in the sense that I learned that maybe just a reaction or just someone saying, oh, could be funny. And, you know, it, it didn't, things didn't have to be spelled out so much. Yeah, the verbosity could be dialed back yeah, a bit. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. And that, you know, the thing about, I mean, the, the thing about the, the written word is that you can go back. Now, of course, you have TiVo, you can go back, right? Right. But, or, you know, you you can replay it on the internet. But we were basically doing live television in the yeah. day when there weren't, I mean, I got a VCR, it was the size of this table, I think it was steam-powered, it was one of the first ones. <laughs> um, so, you know, what we thought we were doing was extremely ephemeral, live television, what could be more fleeting? It was ephemeral for a very, very long time. Well, what could be more fleeting than live television? We didn't kind of realize that it would be, you know, repurposed um, so much. I mean, like Hulu.com. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Where is my check? <laughs> um, and so people can't go back. Right. It's gone. Right. And on stage, of course, it really is gone. Well, yeah, because I think that the, that I, that was the other kind of arc that I was thinking about is coming from that literary tradition to radio and then TV where the medium is completely different and has to be punchy and snappy. And yeah, yeah, I mean, they, and, and, and people can't, slot. if they don't understand it, they can't go, oh, I, I'll read that paragraph again. Right, right, again. right, right. So you have to really be more explicit. Right. And I think in teaching lovely segue to the fact that I teach but I I teach um, at USC in the in the school of it's now called the school of cinematic arts because George Lucas gave them a shitload of money and they get to call it whatever they want you know whatever he wants to call it they call it that Um, it sounds like Harry Potter to me the school of cinematic arts but anyway (laughs) it (laughs) and it used to be called the school of cinema because the television part is... In tidy parentheses. Yeah, the and television, because television is always, uh, and still is, the ugly stepsister there. But anyway, I teach there, and I teach sitcom writing, and I a sitcom spec class. And I also created a class, which I occasionally get to teach there, which is a, a class in writing for late-night television. And um, I would always say to people that it, television is radio with pictures so it you need to say everything everything needs to be really everything really needs to be explicit not necessarily broad because i don't believe in just pandering to the lowest common denominator but it needs to be comprehensible and it needs to be explicit 
and you know because and and really you need to to say it as well as do it because people watch TV in a, in a different way and whether they're watching it on the internet or on their cell phone or whatever they're doing they're doing other things mm-hmm. when and and you know I'll get people that are film students and they think very filmically and they have like close-ups of a cigarette being stubbed out in a coffee cup you know what I mean and right. no not not in comedy on television really because the person is they're ironing they're eating they go into the bathroom they take a phone call they're on the internet at the same time they their attention is fragmented right. in a way that it's not when you're sitting in a dark room looking up at a huge screen. Right. So you really have to say what you're doing. You can't rely on the visual. And, you know, which is not to say that you can't have visual jokes, right. but, you, but you really need to make it clear what's going on and you need to be quite explicit. And um, I think that that's that's very important and has nothing to do with you know talking down to people it's just about the way that people consume to make sure they get the hooks that you're putting out there people consume television in in a different way than they do movies and 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 it's important and and even in a different way than radio because with radio you think they're probably mostly in their car or whatever it's a different different method of consumption and you know, I think Lauren Michaels was very instrumental in making me realize this because he he really pushed and channeled everything in that way. And one thing that always stood out for me was one time when we were doing this thing, we were doing um, Fred Garvin Male Prostitute, which was a combination of Danny Aykroyd, who had come up with his character, <laughs> me, and um, Rosie Schuster, and... Jim Downey were all all working worked on this piece, and uh, we had Fred bring her some flowers when he came to the door, and to our hotel room, and uh, with Margot Kidder and Lauren in between dress and air said, "Don't have him give her the flowers. Have him give her a box of candy." Because if he gives her the flowers, then she has to do something with them, like put right. them in water or something like this. Right. More business and, has to happen. And more business has to happen, and it's distracting, and it breaks up the flow. So just make it be like a candy box instead. And I was just struck by the brilliance of this. And that's sort of a philosophical thing that I apply, because I, I think that the main thing is, it's really hard to get people to laugh. You know, the old joke about... You know, dying is easy, comedy is difficult, the old comedian in the old folks' home or the actor in the old old actor's home. Well, you know, you can get people to cry very easily. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll give me some cough medicine, put me to bed, oh, yeah, I'll I cry hate at that. Lassie. Yeah, I hate the <laughs> some, some, some sentimental music. I can't watch the ASPCA I'll, ads. I'll I, cry you know, at the sound of music. You know, yeah. I will cry easy. It's easy. The, yeah. the, that button's easy to hit. But to get someone to actually physically laugh, you know, <laughs> like really laugh, I think that's much, much harder. And so, so if people are going, hmm... What the? What was that? Did I? Huh, why is he there? What is, is he? Her cousin or her nephew? What? They're not laughing. Right, they're right. not going to be laughing. If they're asking themselves questions, they cannot be laughing. So 
So that's why it needs to be explicit because you don't want to pe- put any bumps in the road. You're you don't want to have bumps the... in the road to laughter. You want to have it clear. Yeah. And you want the snow plows to come out. You just want it to be like a clear route to the joke. Okay? So you don't want to have these little bumpy things that will make people go, hmm, what, wow, wait, uh. And that's what I tell, I mean, I tell my students that. And that don't be so arcane or whatever, right. because then people will lose people. You'll lose them. It's not about their intelligence. It's about making a smooth pot. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. To get to, get to, uh, to, get to, uh, What's the line? Uh, allow me to remove my elaborate network of cusses. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, that's an awesome line. And then, and then Garrett, this, this is actually my favorite line, which is Garrett Morris's, there are some hungry women in Bettendorf online for the Garvin, Garvin lizard. <laughs> and then we were allowed to say that Garvin lizard is pretty funny. In those censorship-prone days that they actually let us get away with that, it's pretty funny. Um, lizards are deep enough euphemism. <laughs> right, right. If it's a trouser snake, you know, then, but we got to lizard and they let it go by. But, uh, yeah, uh, the other thing about that sketch was that someone, another person who decided to just reinforce how really, really old I am, um, <laughs> said, um, that he and his friend used to go around to their middle school homeroom. <laughs> In the morning, like when they were having homeroom in their middle school, and they would perform sketches from Saturday Night Live. And one of the sketches that they apparently performed was Fred Garvin's <laughs> male prostitute, <laughs> which really makes you wonder what kind of middle school this guy went to. must not have been paying attention in the middle school. <laughs> yeah. Like in front of the class? Like got yeah, up and yeah, home. yeah, got up and did like little funny bits from Saturday Night Live. And presumably the teacher was, you know, okay, Saturday Night Live, it's on NBC, it must be okay. It passed the censors. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. Oh, hilarious. Yeah, uh... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of anything parallel that I've ever done. Yeah, well, no, that was that was really strange to me. But you you come across those little pockets of things. For instance, I just was reading the Hightower Report, which is a, a wonderful kind of, um, you know, I, I hesitate to say left wing or liberal or whatever. Progressive, I think is. Yes, the, I would say Jim Hightower is. You know, yeah, his mind is. His, he he has his mind right, as they would say in Texas. And remember that old movie, You Gotta Get Your Mind Right, Boy. Um, he hosted Saturday Night Live, too. What was that movie with Paul Newman, remember? Oh, uh, Cole Ham Luke? Cole Hamlet? Uh, it might have been Cole Ham Luke. It's where he's a convict. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's where the, we have, what we have here is a failure to Yeah, exactly. Right. And he says, You Gotta Get Your Mind Right, Boy. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so Jim Hightower in the Hightower Report, and I'm going to actually go and send him a little email thing about this, talks about this Lily Tomlin um, commercial parody, and he says it's from Laughing, but it's not, of course, from Laughing. It's from Saturday Night Live, and it's where she goes, we don't care, we don't have to, we're the phone we're company. We're the phone company. And it's Ernestine. Yep. If you don't like it, try using two, paper, two Dixie cups and a string was always annoyed because she said with a string instead of and a string um but i did not write this Mm. this was written by franken and davis but um tom tom davis and and al franken senator al franken um (laughs) 
but they wrote it for man. They wrote it for like, you know, a spokes, spokesman. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. What about Ernestine? Let's use, see if Lily will do it and if she'll do it as Ernestine. Yeah. And so we switched it over to Ernestine and then it became actually an Ernestine piece that she did on, on Broadway and all of this. Um, but that was my idea was to make it Ernestine. So I, I was going to send a little note to Jim Hightower going like, hey, Correction. wait a minute. Correction. <laughs> right. That was not on Laugh-In. It's on SNL. But he's talking about how, you know, they, it's about a piece about net neutrality. Right. Uh, people are trying to stamp out shows like yours in favor of... Of regulation. Favor yeah. of, you know... I don't think it... I, I, corporate <clears throat> media. It would have to. Well, I mean, I think there's... a. Corporate media has its place, and I think it's going to fail as long as there's free ways to do it. And if they can figure out a way to make it not free... It's not free. Guess what? It's not free now. Well, it's free... free uh, well, it's not free because look at Hulu. Well, I, I'm sorry... There's more, ads on it. More right. more our side of the stuff where we're basically paying for bandwidth, you know? Yes, but but what I'm saying is that... Oh, that yeah, People content. keep saying, like, they keep saying all those corporations are like, gosh, gee... You know, we don't know. No one seemed to figure out how to make money off of the internet. And then you go to Hulu.com, and there's ads all over the which place. displays all of my past work, yeah. which I've not seen a penny for. The Writers Guild is like into it or something. And it's got ads. You can't watch yeah. it without watching the ads. Yeah, so, 20, 20 hello, excuse me. Somebody's making some money here. Yeah. Well, that's maybe, what I mean about it's not maybe, free. It's being invaded. Maybe they're right. they're they're putting Honda commercials in front of that stuff on their own. Uh, yeah, they're just they're, doing it to be nice. Maybe yeah. they're getting a free car here yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Exactly. Maybe. So I mean, so I sort of do fear for for net neutrality. I think it's. Yeah. I think that the internet is going to become, you know, a corporate highway. Well, I think it already is in a lot of ways. But yeah. I think that there's, as long more. as there's a way, yeah, I I, I think the the the. The small and medium stuff that isn't that way, that's like donation supported or, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, funny, uh, you know, comedians and, and people like that who have podcasts and little video podcasts. Yes, but did like you that. know this? Did you know that you can, if you put your video on YouTube, you can actually hire people to hit on it? Wow. I'm not, yeah, I'm not surprised. And pay them. You I'm pay not surprised. Them. Which seems unethical. It is unethical. Well, I would think so. It's and that's illegal. all they do. They just keep doing it. It's not illegal. It's no. a, it's unethical. No, it, right. it's but I mean, so immoral. you can actually say, "Oh, I want to make <clears throat> this viral," right? Mm -hmm. And so there are companies, I guess. That oh, I'm sure. You just you know, and that's what they do. And they're probably in India or something. Yeah, and China they, or India. Yeah, and they just do it, and Watch. then that way, that's how you create a viral video. How I awful mean, would that, that be? Isn't yes, I know. <laughs> well, not as bad as some jobs. Not as bad as some. Worse than a lot. <laughs> now, if we could have just done that with the Nielsen boxes for all our favorite shows, like right? I can't yeah, well, you know, they did. I mean, the, the funny thing is that that the, the, they Nielsen actually did give Al Franken a Nielsen box, which you know is completely crazy because if you work in television, <laughs> right, you're right. certainly not supposed to have a Nielsen box. And he had a Nielsen box, and then what happened is that. Actually, I guess I don't know if it's a Nielsen box, but there was a he had a journal. Yeah, my grandfather got a journal. He had a journal, and what what um, got screwed up was that he was writing down that he was watching Saturday Night Live reruns in the summer, and so he just was automatically filling that in as what he was watching, right. and then the ball game went over, <laughs> and so they got onto it and they like, took hey, it away. You didn't. 
Yeah, because if like it was cheating, but they took, but but he should never have even had it. I mean, that just shows that the system is completely. Porous. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of it's random. totally porous. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> I'm still trying to I'm still trying to figure out how we can use the unethical uh, Indian subcontinent. Yes, 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 exactly. Now this is the thing. This is the thing. I wish. I mean, I don't have the phone number, but apparently you can do that, and it's, it certainly sounds like a good idea. <laughs> it's a horrible idea, but it's a great idea. Both, both, as so many ideas are. Yeah, right. but I'm not surprised at all. That's that that sort of thing is is, is yeah. Gaming the system like that, you can totally do that. Never yeah. give a sucker an even break. Exactly. <laughs> um, you've been quiet, Brody. I'm just I'm really taking enjoying the conversation. You're taking it all in. Um, I do want to ask you because you brought up Lily Tomlin. There was uh, something we were Gene and I were talking about. Uh, you initially, when were you were in talks with Lauren Michaels, and you know the the story about how you you told me I don't really like the Lily Tomlin specials. Um, I believe, as you were quoted in one of the books on Saturday Night Live, was that uh, you thought it was they were too feminist in their sense of humor. Oh no, I never said that they were too feminist. I just said that I didn't think they were entertaining, and I really liked Sonny and Cher better. Right, right. Because because I I liked I mean I I, I like the sort of mindless splashiness of of Sunny and Cher you right. know, the trash television aspect of it and and I didn't really go to television at that time for any sort of intellectual stimulation it was more right. like um it was more <laughs> it was more like a lava lamp you know to me than than something that I would go to to be you know provoked right. You know, to, to to be forced to think. It yeah, wasn't their feminist aspects that were, you know. We were trying point. to figure out. I was I was trying to figure out. Basically, it was like a game of telephone because obviously that quote is is off. Well, was this from the Tom <clears throat> Shales book? Because they were so off. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, they were so off. Because I was my first place. My first thing was. Well, if it's being described as feminist, it probably wasn't very funny. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's a question I always used to say. I mean, when when. <laughs> When, I mean, I, I, now we're in the post-feminist era, whatever that is. But, I mean, when it was important to know if you were a feminist or not, I mean, people used to ask me about that if I was a feminist, and I never really knew what to answer because I couldn't, I mean, it's like, is the girl in the Virginia Slims ad a feminist? I'm not sure. You know, what is a feminist? Well, she has come a long but, way. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, of course I was, I was, um, I was quite passionate about certain feminist concepts, such as equal pay for equal work. Right. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> and um, and you know, um, women not being treated as second class citizens, and and the the funny thing about uh, feminism, it's like what? Oh yes, that old thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> But you know, I did a I did a book that sort of was was quasi feminist in the sense that it espoused uh, the cause of women. I I edited the book called Titters, the first collection of humor by women, and um, it was it was very it was pro pro female, you could say. Yeah. Yes. What I found interesting was how that me having taken that quote as accurate, which obviously it wasn't, but. Going from there to the point where you had the 
slumber party meeting with all the female writers. Oh, oh, yes. I got all the female writers to come to my house. I banished Michael for the night. I was <laughs> living with Michael still at the time. And um, we all got together and I sort of tried to urge them to be more uh, demanding, should mm-hmm. we say. And um, it didn't go over well. Right. Right. <laughs> it didn't go over well. But but I think that 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 of course they were not treated as well as the men. I mean they were treated better at women were, were better treated at Saturday Night Live than they had been at the National Lampoon. They were treated with more respect and they were paid better and they were acknowledged as, you know, legitimately having jobs. Um, but, uh, you know, Gilda and Jane and Lorraine shared a dressing room, I think, for the first couple of years of the show. Yeah. And they were always referred to as the girl, as the girls. And I mean, and, you know, uh, I think, it, you know, if, if anyone ever, I mean, it, case in point, the Lily Tomlin thing. I mean, they were, when, when the guys wrote a part for a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, a, um, an, I don't know, anyone in a position of authority, they would never think of casting one of the women in, in, in that role. You know, even though women were starting in actual life to step right. into those roles, they never, I mean, it was like the doctor was always assumed to be a man. Right. You know, the doctor will see you now. One of the girls was the receptionist who said that line outside right. the doctor's office, and the doctor was the man. You know, so I, I really was trying to change that. And, you know, for what it's worth, I think I did have some effect on it because after all, we did child psychiatrist with Lorraine Newman where the doctor was a little girl. But do you think that, <laughs> but, but that's so, that's so silly that I think it's, it's a, it's an easy way to slip that past that she's actually a physician. Well, right. I mean, <laughs> right. But I mean, it's still, as I said, it's still like proto-feminist, yeah, if, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. if you will. And I mean, things like... Angora Bouquet, my commercial parody, Hi, I'm Beautiful But Stupid, and I found this soap that helps me stay that way. <laughs> and then it ends up, my husband likes the way I never bother him with my opinion. <laughs> um, so that was that was a feminist statement on my part. And actually, it was quite effective because uh, the, uh, the um, cashmere bouquet people who were advertising on the show or the ivory soap people or whoever it was, uh, the Ivory people, I think, took their ad. P&G took their ad off the show that week. Right. Which I thought I would get in trouble for, but it seemed like there were a bunch of people lined up on a wait list to get ads on Saturday Night Live, so I, it didn't cause a problem. Would you, do you think, in retrospect, you always had that feminist spirit in you, or do you think it was something that developed once you were in the system of you know working on this major network show it, that was... Oh well, no. I, I mean, it it developed um, it developed at the National Lampoon, really, because initially I I I did fall into a sort of um, tender trap in a way, <laughs> um, because Michelle Chaquette, who was the writer for the Lampoon, who brought me to the Lampoon and brought me to New York, um, you know, I was. I wasn't actually writing things so much for the Lampoon. I was sort of helping Michelle with his work. And I kind of accepted that role. And then after a while, I was like, wait a minute. And, you know, Michelle used to bring me to these editorial meetings, which were always over dinner in a really bad restaurant. And, <laughs> um, 
like steak and brew or something. <laughs> and, um, but they were free dinners or, you know, Indian restaurants where they served cat. Um, <laughs> and and um, so I don't even think New York even has those bad restaurants anymore. Uh, I think they've been phased out. Uh, but so then I would come up with ideas and then people would write ideas down on napkins or whatever. And then later they'd go, well, whose idea was that? And it turned out it was like my idea. Yeah. So then I started to go, wait a minute. And then there was, I had several like aha moments. And one of the aha moments was I used to think that people, if they were going to be funny, they had to be very spontaneously and off the cuff funny. And then I noticed that these guys who were so spontaneously and off the cuff funny, that they wrote things down. Mm -hmm. They said things and they wrote them down and then they said them again later. And so it was like, okay. And I went out and I bought a notebook. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I bought a notebook. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write things down too. And, <laughs> and then <laughs> I don't have to just make it up right then. I can save it and use it. And then uh, I was at this dinner at this bad restaurant, which was called... Uh, Syed Nova and it was an Armenian restaurant and the worst Armenian restaurant certainly in New York and possibly anywhere outside of Armenia <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so we were having this really like bad long Armenian dinner and um, and somebody said what do you think Syed Nova means in Armenian and I said it means hello sucker and <laughs> and people looked at me like Oh, the table spoke because <laughs> they were startled that I had come up with this witty rejoinder. And then I thought, mm, you know, I could do this. I could, I could maintain a seat at this table. And that was like a aha moment for me. And so I started to be like, I want a byline. I want a thing, and I want to be paid. I want. You're an actual. And, you're an actual employee. Yes, yes. <laughs> I want to be a contributing editor. I want, to, and so I want. I want. I want. And the result of my opening my big mouth so much and saying I want, I want, I want, is that actually I ended up off the magazine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so no, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> because I went to lunch with Henry Beard, and I said, you know, why am why is my stuff not getting in, and why am I not getting this, that, and the other? And he was like, well, you know, chicks just aren't funny. I actually wrote that at the top of my. <laughs> I wrote that at the top of my thing. Are chicks funny? Yeah, <laughs> chicks just aren't funny, and and you know. I I think, you know, if had I been a guy, I would have punched him in the nose. But since I was a chick, I cried and lost my contact lens in the soup. <laughs> so uh, then I never wrote anything else for the magazine. Except for two things. One, a little Beatsy parody, which I can show you that I wrote for the self-indulgence issue. And another... Uh, another thing was that I had come up with this idea for the National Lampoon Radio Hour, which was which Michael was doing at that time, uh, which was um, the Nazi Doctor Doolittle. He made the animals talk, <laughs> portrayed by John Belushi, and Michael was the was the was the cat that he was whipping, and finally the cat confessed. The cat and mouse is under the refrigerator. <laughs> nice, um, but. Uh, and Henry thought that was pretty funny, and he wanted to use it in the magazine. So I had that piece in the magazine with an illustration. 
Well, chicks aren't funny except for Ex- this example. Yes, except, well, he wanted to use that. And then in the self-indulgence <laughs> issue, uh, a little beatsy. Um, but so that was my whole consciousness raising. Yeah. And then I was really, uh, my consciousness was so raised that I, when I was working on the National Lampoon Radio Hour and I came to work and my desk had been given away on, as it so happened, Easter Sunday. <laughs> I had had a desk up on the floor where the radio hour was done, and um, I went to use it. I was actually picking up Michael to go to brunch or something. And um, there was this other Maddie Simmons' son, Michael, had his stuff was all in my desk. <laughs> and uh, I was like, what? What's this? And so I was infuriated, and I said take my material off the show. And that meant that they would have had to re-edit the whole right, show. Right, was already in the can. And it was already <clears throat> sent out. And so Michael called Maddie up and said, you know, <laughs> this. And Maddie would sort of been looking for an excuse, I think, to get rid of Michael, because Michael was clinically insane, as we discussed, said, she's your girlfriend, you know, and he was like, well, you know, you have to do something about this. And he said, well... You know, if she doesn't like it, she can quit. And if you don't like it, you can quit, too. And Michael said, well, I quit. And I went, oh, holy shit. How are we going to pay our rent? Yeah, because both of you are out of work. Internally, yeah. Hmm. You know, this grand gesture was all very well, but I was a little bit more pragmatic than that. (laughs) I was going to say pragmatism, That's that to me seems it's the hallmark of... Your feminism comes from a very pragmatic place. Of seeing, <laughs> uh, well, of seeing your work get you know get short shrift, and then and then you know just basically doing what anybody would do to stand up. For uh, well, yeah, I mean, it was just I was just like, well, wait a minute, and 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 you know, there was this attitude, and 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 there was this sort of attitude of women not being, and I mean, the funny thing that happened was when I was doing that Tom Shales interview for the Saturday Night Live book, okay. Mm-hmm. He kept asking me all these questions about Michael, Michael this, Michael that, Michael Chevy, this, that. I mean, I was like, what? Wait a minute. What about me? <laughs> and I think that's why I had the last line in the book, but enough <laughs> about Lauren. What about me? Right. And he said, what about, I said, don't you want to talk about the women's role at Saturday Night Live and, you know, what we did? And he said, oh, yes. Were there many cat fights? <laughs> 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 there many nice. Well, at least the priorities are <laughs> straight. Like, what year is this? <laughs> oh my god! And and you know, I'm so regretful that I didn't go. Yes, we used to tear each other's clothes off, and then we pour mazola on the floor and roll around. I mean, I'm sorry that I didn't just indulge him in his sexist <sighs> fantasy and go there. Hilarious. And go there with it, but I didn't. I just was like in uh, shock. I was like, what? That is hilarious. <laughs> what did you just say? Um, the one thing that I wanted to mention is, is you talked about the um, um, realizing that uh, that comedy isn't necessarily spontaneous, razor-sharp wit. That's, the, that's like almost, I had the same kind of epiphany, but it, it drove me away from comedy for a while. Because when I was really, yeah, 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 it was it was weird. Because um, I've loved comedy since I was I was little. My and, and everything in in like like said Lampoon and and uh, my grandfather and I used to watch things like Benny Hill and he used to tell me that that was the music hall stuff that he saw as a kid. 
all those Benny Hill sketches were just the same. Yeah, so 19- he British? Yeah, he's yeah. from London. And, um, you know, uh, but I watched all this stuff and, and I used to think it was magic. You know, I just, I, I used to think it was, it was spontaneous. And then I, I was on, I was on the road working a lot and they had, it was Comedy Central had just come out and all they were doing were playing these showcase, uh, stand up showcase shows. So you could literally watch the same routine over and over again from like, you know, like, like Jake Johansson or Mark Marin or people like that were on. And I would watch them do the same jokes and different, you know, a little bit different, different punchline, different tags and things like that. And I would be like, a minute, <laughs> they're just, they're just saying stuff they made up. <laughs> you know, just that, just, <laughs> and it, it really did kind of like, really? I, yeah, it was, I, I, I well, kind yeah, of saw I mean, the sausage being made and I was like. Uh-oh. Well, uh, television, I mean, that's the thing about TV is that, you know, somebody who's a comic can go on the road with the same routine right. and do it in all different towns. But yeah. then once you do it on television, it's burned, really. Yeah, yeah, totally. So then people have seen it. Yeah. You know, so uh, that's the blessing and the curse. Right. I think it's, but but I guess, you know, the stuff that you've done is, has been more theatrical. I think you can watch a Fred Garvin male prostitute or whatever. <laughs> I think you can. I you think can it's see it more than once. Yeah, you yes. can see it more than once. Um, but I just wanted to say that because I, I thought it was interesting that you had the, you, I kind of, I recoiled from realizing it and you embraced well, no, it. Well, <laughs> no, I embraced it because I realized that, that I could do that. Right, right. I mean, then, it, then it, it wasn't necessary to be so spontaneous, you know, that the, right. the, the challenge of having to come up with something immediately on the spot, you right. know, you could save stuff up. I mean, because I had thought of that as cheating. Right. Yeah, well, that's kind of, I see, yeah. I, I sort of, I, it's But then the I realized that these people all cheated, so then I yeah. went, oh, well, that's the I job. cheat too. That's the job, is to have funny, <laughs> funny stuff at the ready yeah, when you, when you right. need to have it. Right, Yeah, I don't know, I just, I just, it's it's funny that it's... Well, people, I mean, people got disappointed finding out that people on SNL didn't just make up what they were saying as they, you know, wasn't just all improvised. Right, right, right. And I mean, I would always point out to people that if that had been going on, the camera would have been on the wrong person. Yeah, or it would be a static shot of everyone <laughs> you know, wondering. I mean, it had to be thoroughly blocked and rehearsed. You know, that it was seriously prepared beforehand. You I've, know? I've always, <laughs> I've always been. Uh, my my theory on improv is it's like psychic cold reading. That if you throw enough stuff out there, you're going to get ten percent hits, and people are going to remember the funniest. Stuff. So <laughs> improv is like. That was really funny improv. You mean the 10 minutes they spent doing something that wasn't funny? (laughs) For the, like, three jokes that got a really big laugh? Well, you know, the difficulty, I think, with a lot of... uh, And and because I've been teaching this class at Chapman, um, this summer I've been teaching a summer school class there where I've actually been forced to go to comedy clubs (laughs) because I decided that I could only drive to Orange County once a week and they needed a certain number of hours. And and someone suggested to me, I said, well, why don't you take your class to clubs? So I started doing that and I never go to comedy. I mean, I don't like to watch comedy without a remote. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) so I never go to comedy clubs, but you know, I can certainly get into them, you know, because I can call people up and go, hey, it's me, can I bring my class? And Where have you been going? All... Well, we've gone now, tonight is the last one. We're going to um, uh, UCB. 
Oh, we, have to wait. we have to wait a bit on some clubs because I have to wait for everyone in my class to be 21. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, UCP is all ages generally. What's, what's yeah, on tonight? I think it is all ages. It's a, it's, there's a, there's a couple Thursday. of women and then there's a group. Um, Tremendosaur. Oh. Tremendosaur. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's Improv. And then and there's some women. There's women first and then there's Tremendosaur. Is it the Ron and Beverly? Ron and Beverly's. No, it's something else. Charlotte and Anne. I try to. I think isn't Thursdays when they do uh, the. But we've been to we've been to so far um, the actual improv the original right. improv stand up, um, Laugh Factory, where we saw Tim Allen for like an hour and a half of Tim Allen too much. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I heard he was. I heard he was back doing stand. Yeah, I guess he's putting a Vegas show together or something. I can't think of any other reason why he'd be doing it, but I suppose. Um, likes to keep his hand in. Bored staring at piles uh, of money. Maybe. Um, so anyway, uh, Laugh Factory, Improv, um, West Side Eclectic it used to be called. Yeah. I don't think it's, I think they took the eclectic out. Yeah. Um, and um, that was just for a change of pace, something different, you know, to go there. Um, and I was curious to see what they offered. Um and the Groundlings, mm -hmm. and uh, Second City, and um, let's see where else. Uh, oh, Improv Olympic, of yeah. course. Yeah. And then now UCB. Excellent. I think that's all. Yeah, that's that, that's pretty much yeah. That's yeah, about well, that's all the there is. Yeah, I mean, that's the circuit yeah, unless that's... you start going to oh, and the Comedy Store. Yeah. And the Comedy Store, uh, in, in, unless you start going to. Um, you know, um, I don't know, over the, at Universal, you know. Oh, the Lovitz. Yeah, well, that's... Lovitz is, I think ha -ha really for tourists. <laughs> um, although, actually, there's some stand-ups that I know have a couple shows there. That... Yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, I had to sort of, I had to make it be all on the same night, so I had to pick, like, Thursday night. Right. So, whatever there was on consistent. Thursday nights, then, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, like, There'd be better offerings maybe on a Sunday or a Friday or something, but we had had to really schedule Th it to go on Thursday. Thursday UCB is, is usually pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I look forward to that. I had a class on – I had a UCB class on Thursdays, and I would, like, yeah. do my class and then head over to the theater and watch well, whatever the, the, was on the, stream. The, the most – I think the Groundlings people like the Groundlings the best of, of what we've done so far mm -hmm. and then of course there were those moments of either improv or people doing stand-up that were really good there yeah. was a real good stand-up biracial stand-up guy who did a lot of impressions and was really funny and he was at um uh he was at comedy store mm -hmm. every night um and so people would pick you know certain people out of the evening but i think for the most consistently humorous evening i i, I would say the groundlings really mm -hmm. So far, hmm. was the was the most entertaining. I don't think I've seen. I'm, if I if I've seen a show at the Groundlings, it's been a long time. Yeah. Well, this was an improv. It was an improv show. It wasn't yeah. you know one of their their, their, their script, scripted from improv shows. Yeah. It was an improv night. But um, the the problem with all of that, I think, is it's it's so much based on you know in both in both stand up and improv you're being taken inside the brain of the person or persons who are performing it. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that's not a place you want to be. It's not, and, and you're, there's an artificial, <laughs> well, I think, I think what you said earlier, it, absolutely. <laughs> I think what you said earlier, too, about making the clearest path to the joke is hard to do when you're, there's a hurt, 
there's a hurdle trying to get to someone's point of view, whereas if you're doing a sketch, you can, you know, set things up, I think, a little easier. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think when improv is cooking, and, and also, obviously, when you see somebody who's, like, a great stand-up. Oh, that was the other person in the deadlift list uh, that I left out, Mitch Hedberg. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Mitch Hedberg. I love he as far as what I mean. I, I saw him in Montreal, yeah. and I wrote down the name Mitch Hedberg, yeah. and thought like, "Hey, this guy's great, Mitch Hedberg." I'm glad they got this. someone. I'm glad they got someone of that generation in there too. Yeah, I mean, lucky, lucky for well, all he, of us. Said, I guess he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> I know. They said, "I know." So, so lucky to be in that list. Comedy's Kurt Cobain, but I mean, if you saw like a Mitch Hedberg, oh, you'd be yeah. like, "Whoa!" Yeah, totally. I mean. There, there were a lot of people doing those kind of. I mean, like Stephen Wright does those kind of. Oh, Stephen Wright! I love Stephen Wright. But 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 Hedberg was like, I, I, he just did something that was slightly different, and everyone could. Go. And he had his eyes closed. Kept his eyes closed the whole time. Kept yeah. his eyes closed. Or back to the couldn't back of the, the audience. audience. Back to the <laughs> audience. Yeah, he couldn't look at the audience. That's crazy. It's like Miles Davis turning his back on the audience, you know, and jazz. Oh, lovely! At my daughter's. Glitter, glitter glue on my dress now. Um, the, the uh, but, but you know, unless it's someone whose mind is that cool and interesting. I mean, another yeah. person that I love of modern people is, um, you know, uh, the the that English transvestite guy. You know, oh, Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard. Yeah. yeah, brilliant, 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 brilliant. Yeah, well, he's adore he's he's hard to get into for some people because like my wife, he's very smart, very smart, but also Which is not to say your wife is not smart, but no, I mean it's an intellectual commitment. Yeah, it is an intellectual commitment, and and she's very she's very focused in what she's focused on, and, and she's a you know she has like a, the laser beam focus, and she's not as like. She's not going to get a reference, a, a biblical reference or something. Well, I, I mean, I obviously I tend to be a sort of ramblingly conversational person, you know, that my mind is like this junk attic, and I leap from one yeah. disused piece of furniture to another. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and he does that, and that's why I just oh, yeah, yeah. glommed onto him yeah, yeah. because you know he connects things. Yeah. Well, I think that's the connection is the important part. Well, yeah. My one, of my creative. Well, my my my, my favorite creative writing teacher. Uh, I went to Arizona State, and uh, the author T. M. McNally was my creative writing teacher. And he said that the definition of genius is the person who can take seemingly unrelated things and connect them. And that was his philosophy, as far as. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I have known a couple of geniuses, and 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 I would say actually, <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> I would say that Michael Adani was kind of a genius. I think he was a genius, um, a comedy genius. And I and I also would say that John Belushi was probably a genius. Um, and Gilbert, in her own way, yeah, was definitely a gen- comedy genius. Um, and then the only one of them that's still alive, I think, is Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about that on the way over here. Yeah. Did you see the? Uh... Interview with him in G- Yeah, yeah. As <laughs> I said, I paid my five bucks for the magazine, <laughs> largely motivated by the fact that Bill was in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't realize it was. I thought that was just him. I didn't realize there was other stuff on comedy in that. Oh, that it was which, a whole yeah, comedy yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I might spend my five dollars. You know, I think <laughs> that 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 Bill was was brilliant and raw and natural and just really, really 
Well, I, I think what I what I said Original. when we were driving over is, is is who would have thought he'd be like the grand old man of, <laughs> of Well now he deserves to be the oh, grand absolutely, old man. But, but I mean Whereas Gary Shandling on the other hand would, Well it's funny because I know Brody wants to ask some square pegs questions. Um, okay. But Bill Murray is in an episode of Square Pegs and he's saying this stupid song oh, about yes. Bolivia that has been stuck in my head for like thirty I, years. I just discussed that because I'm the person who's making the food for my daughter's <laughs> birthday party happens to be Bolivian. It's and unbelievable. She mentioned that she was Bolivian and I said, I'm so sorry, but every time someone says <laughs> Bolivia, my parents are from Bolivia. I said, I can't help but think of this. Bill Murray singing It's Unbeliebable. Kabucha <laughs> uh, Gusto. Kabucha Gusto. And he said, <laughs> and, and, and this other line, which is that he said that he got the commercial because he thought it was the only one who seemed like he really liked the food. <laughs> <laughs> it was for Air Bolivia. <laughs> Bolivia, it's unbeliebable. <laughs> Um, so yes, square pegs, and that was the, that was Bill Murray. That was a very typically Bill Murray experience because the night. First of all, they wanted more men to watch square pegs. <laughs> right now, I mean, nowadays, if you had a show that delivered every female viewer between the ages of eighteen and thirty-five, you know, you would be Gossip Girl. Yeah, totally. You'd be totally happy. But no, they wanted everybody. They wanted, they still were lost in this concept of, you know, TV being like the fireplace with the family gathered around, you know, everybody, the two and a half kids, the mom, right. the dog, you had to watching have TV all together. Right. And so you were supposed to have this big, broad demographic. And so they said, well, we need more men. So how would we get more men? And, and one way, one way, we were trying to get Reggie Jackson and we ended up with Steve Sachs. <laughs> I totally forgot. Rookie of the year, Steve Sachs, Rookie of the year. And she said to him, she was Sarah Jessica Parker was doing her Barbara Walters impression, and she said, "If you were a tree, what kind what of tree, tree would, would you be? be?" And he said, "A big one." <laughs> um, I, so I didn't realize Square Pegs was supposed to be a girls' show. Yeah, well, well, it was. I mean, it wasn't, and it wasn't supposed to be a kids' show either. I mean, I didn't write it for children. I didn't realize that, you know. I mean, I didn't understand television at all because I had only done Saturday Night Live, which is basically made fun of television. Right, right. And I didn't know that, you know, comedies were half an hour and dramas were an hour. I mean, where is that? Is that in Aristotle's Poetics? <laughs> and and yes. also, I didn't understand the concept of an 8 o'clock show versus a 9 o'clock show. You know, that this was an 8 o'clock show. And um, I just thought it was a show. You know, it was like a funny show. I want to do this childhood. thing. Yeah. Well, because my agent said to me, my, my agent, Frank Cooper, was a wonderful old gentleman who was Frank Sinatra's first agent and possibly the first non-Italian person that Frank ever spoke to. <laughs> Frank Cooper. Dress British, think Yiddish. And so Frank Cooper said, you know, I'm sure you were very popular when you were in high school. I was like, no, no, not at all. And I was a complete nerd. And he said, well, why don't you write about that? And that's how I came up with Square Pegs. And I went and pitched it to CBS. And, and the only thing I had as a reference point was the Dobie Gillis show. And the really weird thing was that Dobie himself was sitting in the room because he had become <laughs> an executive at CBS. So I was... 
like it's kind of like the uh, Dobie Gillis show. <laughs> Dobie was right there. Um, and through a chain of, of, of very lucky circumstances, the executive that bought it from me, Pimla Masters, went up the chain of command at CBS and he took my little show along with him. And it went to script and then it went to pilot and then it went to series. Who would have known? I mean, it was like, whoa. But, you know, I didn't think that it was for kids. I just thought it was like a show about Well, I thought it was childhood. about it was about kids, and I it watched it. It was about kids, I, but I mean, if you, if you would say yeah, that I watched people, it because it, it was one of the few shows that had like my peers, maybe a couple years older, but like my peers in it. You but, know? you know, they, they made me put what they called an adult layer, which sounded to me like an old hen, but <laughs> an adult layer, which was like we had to have, we had to have teachers in, right. in it because right. they wanted uh, some adult look. So we had Mr. Donovan, Rob Donovan, Rob Lovebeats Donovan. <laughs> it was played by Stephen Peterman, who went on to do a lot of things, including run Hannah Montana for the past few years. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, uh, because he was an actor and then became a writer. But anyway, uh, so so Steve Peterman ended up as Rob Donovan, a part originally written for and by Al Franken. Um, but that's another story for another tale, another tale for another night. <laughs> um, the, the, the thing about uh, Square Pegs was that they said, okay, we need to get the men. So how about Bill Murray, the biggest box office, male box office star in America at that time, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters, biggest box office star in America. So I thought, oh, I could get him maybe. So I called him up and said, this was before his 800 number. (laughs) (laughs) And I called him up and said, you know, what do you think? And he said, okay. And I said, well, who's your agent? And it's Mike Ovitz. (laughs) Who? I called Mike (laughs) Ovitz. And Mike Ovitz would not take my call. Nice. He would not take my call. He would... Mike Ovitz hung up on me because I was like, well, Bill is going to, and he wouldn't, I mean, they wouldn't negotiate. They wouldn't. (laughs) You're coming, you're coming to tell him that Bill wants to do this thing. No, he hung up on me. Nice. Number of times hung up. When I would get him on the phone, he would hang up on me. He wouldn't, basically wouldn't take my call. I've been hung up on by some of the best. And, (laughs) And so... You know, meanwhile, Bill was doing it. Right, right. And uh, I couldn't get anyone at CAA to make a deal for him to do it. (laughs) No one. Not an underling, nobody. Right, right. The night before Bill was supposed to be on set, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I get a call from him. And he says... I don't know, I'm in this motel in Mexico, and I don't know, I'm in Tijuana, and and I was like, oh my God, it's three o'clock in the morning, and we'd start shooting at six. Right. <laughs> well, of course, it was a hoax. <laughs> <laughs> but my heart almost stopped. <laughs> then, I, I was like, I'm like, hello, he's in makeup, he's on the set, he's actually... Doing this, do you think we 
<laughs> We're doing this. <laughs> it's happening. Oh. And so finally, you know, we, they, we had some sort of contract. He did it for scale. And, you know, we bought him a flask, which we had engraved to say, get out of here, you maniac. On it, <laughs> and gave him a silver flask, which nice. we felt was an appropriate gift. And he did the show at, really as a favor. I mean, really to be nice. Because, you know, and, and, and a sort of payback, I guess, for giving him when he was starting out on SNL and he was the new kid and all that for writing one of the more memorable pieces for him which was the the nerds pieces yeah. and um and so you know he was kind enough to do it and you know what it didn't make a bit of difference to the ratings at all no difference I was impressed didn't make but I was watching it already that, did it, no, that, that aired fairly fairly late in the run yeah there. didn't well because we were trying to right, right, trying to figure it, something out know, yeah. at that point um and uh they didn't really promote it that much. They I don't promoted it on Saturday morning with the cartoons, but I mean they kept promoting it. They kept thinking it was a kids show, and they kept right, right. promoting it as a kids show. So of course that's who watched it. It shows with kids. But yeah, I'm but, glad I watched it. I'm, well, you I'm, know, if 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 I mean they have this concept that if you do a show about like thirty year olds, thirty year olds will watch it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that were true, then only teenagers would ever see Romeo and Juliet. Right. You know, but Golden that would be your Girls. Big, but Who would have watched Golden Girls? I mean, only old people right. would watch Golden Girls, which now <laughs> might be the case, but then, no. Well, I mean, it's weird. It's weird to think that, you know, like... Only Southern Bells would watch Designing Women. Yes, well, like, only vampires would see a show about vampires. I mean, if you extend the logic, which is, brings me to another question, which is I always wondered, if violence on television makes people more violent, how come comedy on television doesn't make them funnier? <laughs> That's true. Uh, uh, well, I think a lot of the comedy on television isn't very funny. That's the There's some, still some good comedy on television now, I think. What are some of the stuff that you well, like Well, you right know, now? I mean, since I've been teaching, I, I've also been, you know, my, I guess I only teach to be, like, made to have these experiences. <laughs> um, because since I teach a sitcom spec course, which is kind of ironic because I've never in my life written a sitcom spec, but I've taught many people how to do it. Um I have to watch sitcoms. Yeah. So, um, and I, and you know, I just, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I really like Jim Belushi, but when I was doing my sitcom course at, at USC, I would just not allow people to write according to Jim. <laughs> I was like, no, sorry, yes, dear. According no, to Jim is that. a We're is not a doing King line. of Queens. We're not doing according to Jim. We're not doing these shows because I would have to watch them, and I'm sorry, I will not do that. There's Especially a for a big nine hundred dollars a month that I'm being paid as an adjunct. Um, so, so Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. Parks and Rec is great. Yeah. Parks and Rec is pretty funny. It's very it, funny. It, I'll go it, out. It, it repays your commitment. And Thirty Rock, which I think Thirty Rock has kind of gone a little, gone off course a little bit. Gone, gone shark words. We've we've talked about. We, I, I I haven't watched Thirty Rock yet. At but all? Not at all. Oh, it's really got some great moments and great characters and good writing. But but sometimes some of the episodes that they've done in the past year seem to be a little moving sharkwards to me. Mm Gimmicky or whatever. Well, just strange, you know, or or where where the Tina Fey character was so pathetic. It was kind of stirred up my old feminist instincts. (laughs) Um, But... uh, but um, I think uh, I actually, I, although I don't really like people who like Modern Family, I like Modern <laughs> Family. You know, I 
Modern Family is like a really good sitcom and a really bad sitcom at the same time. It is. There are moments that the the one there's an episode the one that won me over. We, we've been watching it in reruns. We didn't watch it when it was first. Now it's in summer reruns. We're watching it, but um, uh, the the one episode where the the uh, um, dad um, not not Ed O'Neill's character, but um, right, yeah, he when he doesn't get his birthday present. And I don't feel feelings anymore. <laughs> that line was like, "It's okay. I don't feel feelings anymore." <laughs> and it was just like it was like a, but but it's so like it's there's this veneer of crappy sitcom over yeah. some really good yeah, stuff. Yeah, initially I dismissed it as being a crappy sitcom. I was totally with three there. People in it. <laughs> I was totally there. I was totally there. But it's like, the but then I, I started it, to watch it because yeah. because. The kids liked it, yeah. and so I was watching it, and and then I got into it. And you know, the thing is, I mean, it's it's a truism. I mean, if you if you watch anything enough, I mean, that's that's how come soap operas work. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you watch anything yeah. enough, you get sort of sucked in, right, and right. you start to. But are you being sucked it. in for the right reasons? I think it's, yeah. and I think Modern Family. There's enough, yeah, going and, on. And I actually, I actually think it's pretty funny. Yeah. So, um, but but there are other things I just haven't gotten to, kind of. You know, but that are probably really funny that I haven't really gotten to. Um, But the other truism is that if you do something for long enough, you will get better at it. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a clever segue back to the subject of teaching. Because when I teach my um, writing for late night class, um, I make the students write 10 monologue jokes a week. Yeah. And they start out really bad, <laughs> really bad, but then they get better. I mean, they might not get good enough for Leno or whatever, but they get better. They well, get they 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 do get better. I mean, because if you keep, it's yeah. like if you even if you're a really if even if you really suck at tennis, if you play tennis enough, you are going to get better at it. Right, you right, might right. not you might not be Serena, you know, and 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 what's her name, but. But I mean, you are going to get better. Yeah. So I mean, they get better. Doesn't mean that that's their vocation, but I mean, they get better at doing it. And so it's just a question of using the muscle and using the comedy muscle. Yeah. And that's how you learn. I mean, with improv or stand up or anything, yeah. you just have to do it. Yeah, my stand up tends to be like we're fairly verbose, you know, wordy stuff. But mm-hmm. like since I've been on Twitter and having the kid, I have almost no time for like. How dare you be on comedy. Twitter? You can't fun be on Twitter. Comedy. You have a child. You can't Twitter. <laughs> well, when I'm when I'm at work and from like <laughs> Twitter, but it's made me a better one-liner writer because you have 140 characters to write a joke. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I used I to have totally to write know. column ads for the newspaper where I had to know that an M took up more space than. Uh, oh, from X. the typesetting, from the actual yeah, the typesetters yep. quads. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. That was good training as a writer, also. I took print shop. Oh, I'm very impressed. <laughs> I know M quad. I get to M um, Yeah. So, so yeah. So you're teaching. That's that's one of the things that I'm most interested in talking. About. Yeah. So it's been it's been interesting, and I, and I actually started out in a sort of roundabout way because I started teaching in Canada because I was invited to go to this comedy seminar in in Canada. And I sort of thought, oh, you know, free ticket to Toronto, why not? The summer, it might be fun, and blah, 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 and okay, I'll do it. And then I was like, oh, my God, I have to go to Toronto tomorrow. What am I going to do? And I thought, 
well, I'll just make them do SNL because that's what I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I got there, and um, and I had only women in my class. It was all it had been presented as some kind of feminist thing, and I was like, wait a minute, what are we going to do? The nun sketch? You know, the women's yeah, prison right. sketch? Everything's going to be said. Convents, women's <laughs> yes, prisons. right. We have to get like this some guys in here to do anything. So we did that, and then we... We're big mustaches. I said, well, we're going to put on a show. And they were like, a show? What do you mean a show? I was like, well, how do we know uh, How do we know if it's funny if we don't do it in front of people and see if they laugh? So, you know, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So we have to do a show. So then we did a show. And um, now they're teaching the same thing, and they have and it's their traditional end of some seminar or whatever it is show, and they have it. Now they do it all the time. But, um, so I did it in Toronto and, and then I did some in New York and then I thought, well, you know, could I do, actually do it where I actually live? And so I started working with actually IO West and they were kind of supposed to take care of the classes and the room and the, you know, the money and they, yeah, they were just bad at all of it. I think mainly because the people that were working for them were people who were volunteering to get stage time. They yeah. kind of changed that, but I think initially that's how it was working. Yeah. So it trust, just, trust the unpaid interns. Yeah, yeah. It was like, okay, <laughs> they'll be handling the money and the scheduling. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and people in LA aren't flaky at all. Yeah, they're right. Trying and to get there's stage no time. flaky people. They're, just, they're all very reliable. So uh, so then I was like, okay, I'm going to just do it myself, and I like booked a rehearsal space, and I started. And uh, I used to do shows at the Comedy Union, which is kind of a out-of-the-way club. <laughs> but I was friendly with uh, with Ants Mitchell, and he was very, very kind to us and let us take over and rehearse on Sundays and do the show there. Although when they say the hottest comedy club in Los Angeles, it, it often was the hottest comedy club. It means no club air conditioning. No air conditioning. Yes, <laughs> you can't run the air conditioner. Don't you know how uh, much this is costing me? There's, yeah, that's the worst so, <laughs> So, um, so anyway, we, we did a bunch of shows there and, uh, and in the process of doing that, then I was like, well, could I maybe teach somewhere more like, what about USC? Was there, and so I said, well, I'd like to teach there and nothing happened. And then they called me and said, oh, someone fell through and can you come and teach this class? And I had like three weeks or something to jump in and do it. So I did. And I started teaching there and still teaching there. Wow. Although every year you're not really sure if you're going to be asked back or yeah, not. Yeah, academia, boo. Yeah. Yeah, it's very tense. <laughs> and then a friend of mine was teaching at Chapman, and she, I said, well, maybe I could teach at Chapman. And she's like, okay. And then they, another one of those things. And that, I had like two days to jump in and start teaching that time. So I did. And so kind of because I was teaching at USC and teaching at Chapman, um, and, um, also, because I adopted a, a daughter um, who's about to turn eight, I kind of cut back on the private classes. But I did, I think I did um, 16 of them. Um, we called them Beats Me. That was the name of the show. Nice. So I, I, I did these private classes. And then people are always asking me, well, when are you doing? But um, so in answer to that, I, I'm coming out of retirement that covers never away. Um, <laughs> I'm coming out of retirement, and I'm teaching a seminar very shortly uh, at WordSpace, which is in 
Am I correct in saying that it's in Glendale? It's in Atwater Village. The reason okay. I know this They've is because it's literally across the street from the house I just moved out of. Okay, so it's called Atwater Village. Yes. Um, it's and it's a it's, love, it's a lovely neighborhood that's very near to Glendale, if it's not in fact Glendale in adjacent. Glendale. And um, I am going to teach a very intense weekend seminar, um, which will help people to find out how they can be funny, or or what is funny about them, or what, or you know, uh, what about their worldview. Can be presented as funny um you know i i think people in comedy look at life i would say that they look at life as scans <laughs> so if you have a slightly tilted worldview this class is for you um and the idea is that it will be friday night saturday afternoon into evening and then sunday and then sunday evening there will be a performance and uh probably a somewhat eclectic performance based on whatever people feel like that they would like to do because if they want to do sketch or they want to do stand-up or they want to do improv or they want to do spoken word oh, i'm so open to that like a true variety kind of yeah it might be a little bit of everything okay. but or or it might end up just being sketch i don't know um i mean i think it would be tailored to the taste of those people who feel like they want to sign on for the ride um and uh, and I think it'll be funny. <laughs> <laughs> My it's, experience with with class shows tends to be they're they're funny, very funny because because I think what happens and even over a short space of time, which I have done before, um, is that uh, it starts out with just sort of a bunch of strangers in a room, sort of like a. It's sort of like traffic school. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people are there. It's like they're, yeah. they're like there for traffic school. And then by the end of the time. Hopefully a little more enthusiastic. Well, maybe. But, I mean, <laughs> but you know, there's that like who yeah, are the you? Yeah, the court ordered me to take this yeah. sketch <laughs> class. Right, right. Well, if only they would. <laughs> That'd be kind of awesome, actually. Yeah. Uh, I took a comedy traffic school once and don't. My advice is don't. <laughs> um but anyway, so so people are there, and they're like a little standoffish or whatever, and then by the end they become a, a troop, yeah, a troop, and there and there's like a group mind or something. There's yeah, a yeah. group consciousness. So then, what you do gets partly dictated by the group consciousness and what everyone in the group thinks is good or funny or whatever. Right. Of course, what I'm the ultimate arbiter, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it's it it becomes the process. This yeah. all sounds, I mean, by the time you get to Woodstock, you are there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of the folks who listen to the show are, are comedy nerds or, you know, are, are interested in that kind of thing. It, it makes, I think it makes sense to a large portion of our, if my wife's listening, this makes no sense to you. No, <laughs> but, no well, I hope it does make some kind of sense. And, 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 and I think that the, that the thing is, is that, you know, when I, I, I was teaching this long, longer form version of this, and I called it Saturday Night Live and Five Easy Lessons, and someone said to me, well, you lied about the easy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's been my experience that all the comedy classes that I've taken, the easy ones, there's nothing to them. You know, I've, the improv classes that I've taken, they've all been varying degrees of difficulty, but like Improv 201 at UCB kicked the crap out of me. It made yeah. me really think about what I had. Well, improv is really scary. I mean, improv is scary. It's a little scary. It's scary to me. 
I, you lose the comfort of the you know word on the page. But I think there's, but I think there's the the, the sturdy little secret of an improv is is there are, depending on where you take it from, there are rules that you can fall back on, and you can always kind of, you can always kind of. There t- are tricks. Tip. There are yeah. rules and tricks. There are yes. tricks. But but getting to the place where you're really doing it right is very scary and, and difficult. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to just say yes. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of the rules. Right. And don't not, say no. Don't kill anyone on stage. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> yes, yes, and. But all rules are made to be broken. That's the other. If you one. do it right, if you do it right, but you can't just walk out. And then out. don't talk about yeah. don't talk don't, about it. You can subscribe to Shaky Town Radio on iTunes. Simply search for Shaky Town Radio. You can visit our constantly updated blog at shakytownradio.com. Our Facebook fan page link can be found there, or you can simply go to facebook.com slash shakytownradio. Our Twitter address is at shakytownradio. Our email address is shakytownradio at gmail.com. You can send us a voicemail at 6666shake or 6666-72523. That's the same number. So anyway, my appeal is if there are those people out there who would like to just sign up for a fast, fun ride <laughs> with some laughs at the end that you can invite your friends to, um, then, then, then join me for this seminar. And uh, feel free to contact me if you want at beatsclass at AOL.com. I know I'm just betraying my age and so on by being still on AOL. It but. used to be the only place you could get dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I just, I can't, I'm, it's too, too late to change now. Um, and that's Beats Class, B-E-A-T-T-S-C-L-A-S-S at AOL. And, or you can, um, you can go to the website uh, for WordSpace, which I think is uh, wordspace.net, uh, and you can also phone me at 310-273-1637, and um, I will call you back. If you don't get me, I'll call you back, and I'll tell you about the class, tell yeah. you what you want to know. Um, but it should be an interesting experiment. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing class, and what I know of WordSpace, it's a, a really good place that's trying to... Uh, what, what be, the, be a service to, to writers and aspiring writers. What, what are the dates of the class? Uh, it's Friday night, um, July 30th, Saturday afternoon, uh, July 31st, and uh, Sunday, August 1st. Oh, my God, August 1st. Yeah. We're at August Time already. flies yeah. when you are having yeah. fun. Um, and for the exact details of times and how to sign up and all of that stuff, you can go to wordspace.net. That's word space written together. Yeah, and we'll have uh, for those of or you who word, look at our blog. Words pace. Yes. There you go. We'll we'll have uh, some links on the blog for y'all who are reading the Shaky Town Radio Hour blog. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask because uh, I'm the musician of the two of us. Um, you had a lot of good music on Square Pegs. Were you a fan of it? Were oh, you? Yes, yes. Are you still that was a fan my of idea. Punk rock and new wave and new wave man punk. <laughs> Babe, it's a totally, totally. different head. <laughs> totally. Uh, dueling Mary Buttricks there. Right. Well, yeah, you know, that was my idea that um, because if you're a kid in school, your life is all about the music, right? So right. I wanted to have that be a big element of the show. And I was always pushing for more music and trying to turn it up. 
but sadly it's come and backfired and kicked me in the ass because um they when they put out the dvd which they took forever to do they they took out the song yeah because it became a rights issue but i mean we were getting i mean we were getting amazing stuff like police songs yeah and no one did an episode yeah no, yeah, Devo played it, not be specimens, but I still have the little hat, you know, those the energy dome. Hats. Yeah, I understand nice. that Freaks and Geeks had the same problem when they tried to get put out the DVD for that. My show. epiphany was Freaks and Geeks. Square Pegs is Freaks and Geeks, but contemporaneous to the t- actual time because Freaks and Geeks is set in like 80, 1980, right? Well, whatever. Yeah, I think Freaks and Geeks might have sent me some flowers, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> A nice I, box of chocolate. Nice box of chocolate. Flowers were too much business. You right. Chocolates, I would have taken chocolate. <laughs> uh, so should have head of the class, popular, all of well, Glee. Even Glee. Maybe. Yes, Glee. Even Glee. But see, are they? I mean, I, I haven't watched. I haven't watched a single episode of Glee, so I'm talking completely <laughs> out of school. But uh, no pun intended. Oh, hey, no pun. Well, oh, and what I'll, was I'll the other one? What was the other one about the? Misunderstood life of somebody or other, whatever that was, that one too. Oh, the secret life of the American teenager. No, not that uh, so much. But oh, my so-called life. My so-called oh, right, 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 right. Yes, yeah, my so-called yeah, teenage, life. Teenage misfits. Yes, shows. where are where are the floral tributes from all of these shows? Because <laughs> they owe a debt I, to Square Peg. I think they all owe a debt, but I think Freaks and Geeks is a, is is the spiritual successor. Yeah. I think. Well, hey, I acknowledge my debt to Dobie Gillis freely. Right. So <laughs> I, they are not as 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 generous or as secure in That's their, in their origins. Uh, yeah, but that was my epiphany. I had to share that. <laughs> um, wow, this has been you know I've, I've been saying this every time that every episode gets better and better. This has been like the best episode so far. Well, why don't you come and take my class? Why don't I? Um, I think I have stuff scheduled. Are you going to do more? Because you should do more. If, if this, well, if this works. I'm going to do. I'm going to do. I'll, I'm going to do my damnedest to make sure that the word gets out about this and um, put bugs in people's ears to take the class. Because um, I I have something on the first, so I wouldn't be able to. Uh, it, since it's such a compressed thing. Yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd yeah. absolutely love to take the class. All right. Well, maybe I'm all about time. The, the good classes. Yeah. Especially because I, I consider myself, although I love stand-up, I consider myself a sketch person at, oh, really? at heart. Yeah. Well, growing up watching. Yeah, know, of course. Yeah. And Fridays and all that stuff. You know, um, SCTV and Kids in the Hall. It's funny about Friday speaking of derivative things. I remember Gilda saying about Friday, can they do this? She said, like, we're not dead. What happened? <laughs> they, can they do it? How do they get to do this? <laughs> Uh, uh, do you think that that was said by like the the, the, the first people to do a play in ancient oh, Greece yes, to the I people guess. in the next amphitheater? Yes. <laughs> we're, we're we're doing tragedy and comedy. How can they do tragedy and comedy? <laughs> right? Yes. What? Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. <laughs> but it's been absolutely a joy. I had a really yeah. Good thank time. you so much for. Is this the part where we're supposed to say something funny at the end? <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. I think you just did. <laughs> I think you just did. <laughs> I'm I'm Gene George. I'm Brody Foster Hubbard. And I'm Ann Beats, and I just want to leave you with this thought. What if someone took all the same attributes as Lady Gaga, but instead of singing, they did comedy? Ooh. Would that be a hit or not? Uh, see, now we're going <laughs> to end on that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Sucker. <laughs> <laughs>
The music from this episode is a cover of the waitress's I Know What Boys Like from the band The Bouncing Souls. You can get that track from their Chunk Saw Records LP, The Good, The Bad, and The Argyle. Check them out at bouncingsouls.com.